Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Braxton Hunter, and I'm excited today to uh, bring in a friend that I've had as long as, well, not as long as I've been on YouTube, but at least for the past year. And it blows my mind. I've never had him on my channel, but I'd like to introduce everyone to my friend, Cameron Bertuzzi of Capturing Christianity. Cameron, thank you so, so much for coming on my channel. Yeah, it's great to be here, Braxton. I'm, I'm really happy. Well, to, you know, I, I've said this here. <laughs> yeah, I've had people say this before uh, or people have heard me say this before, but I think it's important to say, and I mean it, I'm not just saying it to be nice, but, um, you know, in the world of Christian apologetics, before I was involved in YouTube stuff, um, I wanted to get to the place where I was speaking at conferences with some of my favorite kind of heroes of Christian apologetics, people like William Lane Craig and Michael Icona and Gary Habermas and people like that. And not because of anything special about me. I kind of think of myself as the Forrest Gump of the Christian apologetics world. I just kind of end up around all these incredible people. But uh, I got to do all that stuff. Um, but then when I came to YouTube, I realized it's got its own people. And those people are people you might not have heard of if you're not in the online world of, of worldview discussions on YouTube. And so uh, I've met people like you and John McRae and Mike Winger and, and David Wood. And you really were um, important to what this channel has become because you reached out to me after my Matt Dillahunty debate and we developed a friendship there and in ways that are uh, deeply spiritual, but also incredibly practical you have really helped me out so much. And so um, I appreciate you as a friend, and I'm so glad that you're on my show finally. Yeah, I, when I first saw your debate with with Matt Dillhoney, I was like, this guy is is not like your average debater or Christian debater. 
I thought it was, I thought you did so, so well. I was like, I have to like reach out to this guy and just talk to him and share any advice that I've been given because like I, I actually didn't have in my sights to do YouTube or have like a YouTube channel until Mike Winger kept like bugging me about it. He was like, Hey, you know, I, I would love to, uh, to talk to you about YouTube and stuff. And I was like, nah, I'm not going to be a YouTuber. Yeah. And, and eventually he like, he kind of, I don't know, got, got me interested enough. And so I, I never like really viewed myself that way, but I'm just, yeah. I, what, when I first saw you, I was just, I was, I was just really happy to, to help out. And, and now we're, we're friends. Yeah. It's meant a lot. And uh, yeah. And I, I've had people on the show that are people I admire, but this is one of my friends. This is someone I chat with, text with on a daily basis. And it's been so helpful. Uh, right off the jump, Cameron, I, I really want to mention this. Um, Solus Griffiths, that is an unbelievable super chat. Thank you so, wow. so much. That is so substantial. Happy Monday. Let's get this party started. Yeah, we party hard here on Trinity Radio talking about anxiety today. So, uh, but thank you so, <laughs> so much. That is unbelievable. I just, I mean, wow, that that's great. Thank you so much. All wow. right. So, uh, Cameron, one of the things that maybe not a lot of people know about you or me, I think you've been more vocal about it than I have, is that both of us have dealt with a fair amount of anxiety, um, and, and maybe we could say a condition of anxiety um, over the past mm. several years. I'm not sure how far back it goes for you. Maybe some people that knew that about you thought that's why I was bringing you on so you could talk about it. But this is one of those areas that we've connected over because we both dealt with anxiety. And so I think there are probably a lot of people in this space online who have also dealt with this. And so I think uh, I think it could be helpful for us to, um, you know, get it out there and then maybe share some of what we've learned. I put on the thumbnail that this was uh, dealing with anxiety as a Christian apologist. But really, this is just dealing with anxiety, um, if anything, dealing with anxiety, perhaps as a Christian, because we do think there's a spiritual component to this. Um, but, you know, let's let's jump into that a little bit and um, and talk a little bit about it. So uh, how long have you dealt with this? Or what do you want to say to kind of segue us into this? Is this something um, and, and be as as guarded or as open as you want to be about it? Well, I'm just going to be like super guarded the whole time, not really share anything. That makes for good uh, no, YouTube. no, no, no. Yeah. That makes for good YouTube. No. Uh, so anxiety is something that I now realize that I've always sort of dealt with it. And I never really thought it was a serious issue until I had a panic attack about uh, it was back in September of last year. So it's coming up on a year It's when I had my first panic attack on my way to work. And I like went to the hospital, thought like I was dying. So I went to the hospital and they Ran a bunch of tests, did EKGs. I, I stayed in the hospital for several hours. They did all these tests and they're like, yeah, you look, you look okay. And so they like put me on some, some like heartburn medication and then gave me some, some random, I don't remember what it was, some anxiety medication. And that was so that I, I, I it's not something that I've always dealt with at that level. It wasn't until I had that panic attack. And, and from what I understand, after you have like your first panic attack, it makes it, it just it's, it's so much easier to have more. So that was something that I had to kind of get used to is after my anxiety kind of peaked at that time. It was just it was awful. It was it was a really, really bad couple months. Uh, 
not even just a couple months, but a few months. Because on the the back of, of all of this anxiety, I started to develop like stomach issues, I think. And so I'm just now to the point where like gastroesophageal issue, whoops, issues, like I had a, a pain in my chest and I didn't know if that was like an ulcer or something else. And so I had a bunch of different things that were all kind of working against me. My job situation was awful. And I, I, like the people that I worked for basically were just really bad people. And that created a whole lot of stress for me because it was like always hanging above my head, this possibility that I was going to be fired. And that just created so much stress for me. And then on top of that, I was having some back issues, which is, is super weird, super coincidental. But I had this, this back issue called costochondritis, which is sort of like a, it's like a mix between a, a, your, the, the, the ribs attached to your spine on your back. And what happens sometimes is they get stuck, like your ribs get stuck on your back. And then if your ribs can't move properly, then it can create like inflammation on your sternum. And so that's like chest pain that I was reading as like, you know, there's a heart problem or maybe it's like an esophagus or some kind of like ulcer or something. So it was just like all of these things working together to like, it was like a, st a perfect storm of anxiety for me. And I tried a bunch of things when I first started out. I like, I the first thing I did, I think was buy JP Moreland's book. And I started to read through that and try some of the the exercises and stuff that he went through in his book, which which I highly recommend, by the way. I should also mention that like Bra Nita Braxton or I are experts or like medical professionals. Mm. So please do not like take what we say in this <clears throat> this little video as like, you know, medical advice or like you're about to do all of these things and take care of your anxiety. I'm glad you said that because we did this video kind of off the cuff today. We've been thinking about doing it. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I'm really we're glad just sharing you our personal stories. Do what? Yeah, we're yeah. just sharing our personal stories. And if you have, like, yeah, if, if you hear something you want to try out or you like, you know, that's that's cool. But don't take this as like, yeah, we're not medical professionals. Yeah, and so in, in saying uh, that, in, and I think we'll get to this a little bit later. We don't deny the medical side of this thing. There are people with um, oh, yeah. chemical imbalances. There are people for whom the medication is necessary and things like that. So you're not going to get from us any any, any sort of um, condemnation of the medical side of this. However, uh, and maybe I'm speaking ahead of us here, but I think it is important to recognize that anything that happens to us can have a spiritual impact. And so there can be a correlation there. And so I think that's important to mention, but I didn't mean to interrupt you, Cam. Go ahead. Uh, so I'm I'm trying to figure out where I left off. I I tried medication. I did that for a couple months, and uh, I got some. I had side effects from it, and so we, my psychiatrist that I was seeing, put me on a different medication, and that one was awful. So I stop. I just stopped taking medication altogether and tried to do different things to help with it. But basically, what I discovered was there were certain things that I was doing that would trigger my anxiety. So one of the biggest things that I dealt with because of the the back issue, which was actually like a chest issue as well, and then maybe like an esophagus, I, I don't know what, I still don't even know if there was something wrong. But over the months, I, I think I'm, I'm pretty much healed from it or whatever it was. It could also be that my anxiety has just been to the point where it's not bothering me. But so I, I uh, man, I'm losing my, my train of thought a lot in this conversation. So you tried the medication so, and it was giving you trouble. It was giving me trouble and I got off of it. And what I what I discovered is that I could basically do different things that I was, I was talking about triggers. 
So once I identified some triggers for me is health anxiety. And one of the things that I was doing that would trigger my anxiety was I would go on Google and Google search oh, my, my symptoms. I know. Yeah. Man. And Google searching your symptoms is like the worst thing you can do if you're battling anxiety or health anxiety, because it's it, all of the links and everything that they, they have on like the front page are all meant to basically trigger it. And they, they do that on purpose because those websites get clicks. Like if you're worried about, you know, the least likely thing that's possible, i.e. cancer, and that's what you're worried about. You're like searching for these symptoms. What do these symptoms mean? Yeah, then me, the me, first thing that you're worried about. Minute, minute Cam, because I know exactly what you're talking about. And one of the things that I always did, because there's a combination of like hypochondria that's involved in this, especially if you initially had panic attacks because of something physical where you thought maybe you were having a heart attack. And so, um, and so I've done this before, like where I have some weird spot on my ankle. And so I start Googling weird spots on your ankle. And here's the thing, almost any medical thing, almost anything having to do with any part of your body, one of the possible explanations is almost always cancer. And so I would tell myself before I'd click on the WebMD article about the little weird spot on your ankle. All right, Braxton, when you click this, there's going to be a whole list of things it could possibly be. And at the very bottom in smaller font, there might be cancer. So just know that going in and be prepared. You don't have cancer. And sure enough, I'd, it'd be at the bottom of the list and I'd say, I've got cancer. I'm dying of cancer. My wife loves to joke because one time I said, I think I have back cancer. Um, so you know, you, you, you think you're rationally when you're dealing with this sort of thing. Uh, but yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I think that's a big commonality that people can relate to. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that's a good point. We need to shelf that so we can talk more about it. But so I identified these triggers and I, once I like stopped doing those, once I stopped searching Google, every time I had some kind of new pain in my body and I just like realized how many times in my past had I had pains like this and then they were gone in like a couple of days or in like a week or two weeks or, or sometimes a month, depending on what it was, like how often in my past has that happened? And it like didn't bother me. And, and just now it's like all of a sudden, you know, everything is, is some serious condition that's going to lead to death. Absolutely. And so, so after I start to, I started to, to figure out what my triggers were and then I put an end to those. So now what I do, if I have something and I'm like, okay, this, this sound, this seems like a serious thing. Maybe I should look into this. Maybe I should like try to figure out what's going on. I use an app called K health and I, I highly recommend it for anybody. You can also talk to doctors and get prescriptions from it. It only works if you're in the U S I think, but I think it's like $40 a year and you can talk to doctors what it, the, the thing that I like about it is that it asked you for all of your symptoms and then based on how other people were diagnosed, it gives you the most likely diagnosis based of, based on your symptoms. And it like has this algorithm that helps you do that. And then beyond that, after it like gives you the algorithm answer, then you can actually connect with a doctor, a real doctor and, and talk to them and figure out what's going on. So instead of going to Google I do that now and I just talk to doctors and, and most of the time, like when I, when I actually search for what this symptom means, it's been like completely, uh, just, just non-serious, you know, it's just some kind of like viral infection or some, something simple like that. Not like a life threatening condition that I'm experiencing most, most of the time, but that, that's a good segue into what, uh, what's called in the, uh, anxiety literature, catastrophizing. So catastrophize, that's like, I'm, I'm a big catastrophizer and I think Me you too. are too. Yeah. And what that word means is basically you 
get anxious about the worst possible outcome and you like focus on that. You can't think about anything else. And like, that's so, yeah. So, so with health anxiety, cancer is like the big, you know, you're, you're, you're catastrophizing thinking that, oh, I probably have cancer with this, you know, random pain in my ankle. It's like, how, what are you talking about? Right. That, that is, that is catastrophizing. Yeah. And you don't realize that you're doing it when you're doing it. You're just so worried about this possibility. And you don't realize that it's completely not rational. And another aspect of this is that anxiety is weird because it's like all in your brain. It's like all like it, it depends on where you let your mind go. So when I stopped letting my mind, you know, trigger itself by searching Google, like my anxiety started to get progressively better after I like identified these these triggers. So it's a real weird like it's all kind of in your mind. And what I what uh, another thing I discovered when I was looking at like do I want to do medication? Do I want to go some other route? It, there's actually really a, a whole lot of studies that have shown that there's this this thing called cognitive behavioral therapy, which is basically just sitting down and talking to somebody. That has like they've looked at the effects or like the yeah, the effectiveness of CBD treatment. Is it CBD? Cognitive behavioral therapy? Yeah, CBT. CBT, CBT therapy. CBD is a whole other thing, Cameron. It is. I, I get those mixed up. Yeah. So CBT is, uh, th there's there's a whole lot of studies that have, that have, you can actually go search for this yourself in Google. There's, uh, there's studies that have shown that CBT, just therapy, just talking to people, can be as effective, if not more effective, than medication. So... I, I mean, I, and that's not to say that medication is for nobody. I think that actually you should look at all of your options and discuss those options with a professional. So like go talk to a psychiatrist, but oftentimes what happens is that CBT is more expensive. So like, you, you know, going on a weekly basis to go talk to somebody that can add up, especially if your insurance isn't that great. But medication, on the other hand, it's like you get it, you know, for a whole month, you're sort of set, and then you can go back and get a refill or talk to your psychiatrist and see how the, the medication is doing. And so, yeah, there's just a lot of components to it. What I, what I realized was that it was, if it was in my brain, and if I could just like identify these triggers and just kind of like, that, that's what cognitive behavioral therapy is all about. It's basically changing your behaviors. So one of the behaviors that I had that was really bad and caused anxiety was searching on Google. So if you could when you're like, when you get to that point where you want to do that, instead you like, if you change that behavior and go do something else, like go take a shower, go like go take a cold shower or what I was doing. And this is going to sound really weird and I don't care is I would like cause pain in my body. Like I would like hit myself in the leg when I was having some kind of like phantom chest pain or, or whatever it was. I would like hit myself in the leg to like snap my brain out of this like spiral of anxiety. And that worked for me. Like it, it stopped, it was, is really weird how, how effective it was, but it stopped like this, the, the spiral out of control of, of anxiety. And if you have ever experienced anxiety like that, then you kind of know what I'm talking about. It's like, once you get started on that train, you can't get off. But yeah. when I, when I would do that, it would like snap me out of it. It was, it was really effective. And so I, I started to do that and I started to change these behaviors and that was, that ended up being really effective for me. Well, yeah, so this would be a good time to, uh, first of all, I want to say thank you so much, Rodney Gardner, for that 
substantial super chat. That means so much. Thank you so, so much. I, we don't require anybody to give us money. We're blown away when they do, but it helps. It helps with equipment and software. And occasionally Cameron tells me, you need to buy this new software that's $100. And so I so stuff like this really helps. So thank you so, so much. Um, I don't know where it went. Oh yeah, somebody says, I have Cartesian anxiety. Right. Uh, but uh, so I want to say uh, I want to say a little bit about my experience with this, because I've dealt with this for several years, Cameron. And so um, I've always had I've always kind of been an introvert that that may surprise some people. But in high school, if our if our high school had been like um, a sitcom, I wouldn't have been one of the people that the show was about. I would have been in the background as an extra walking around. You never hear about those people. I was never at the cool kids table. Now, in my youth group at church, it was a little bit of a different story. But I was the last person you would think of to um, to to be called into the ministry, to preach, to um, be a pastor. And then later, for sure, to uh, do a YouTube channel and debates, specifically debates. And ultimately, I want us to talk a little bit about how this has affected our ministries dealing with this sort of thing. Mm. Um, but so I, I'd always had that nervousness. And what's funny is people will tell you in ministry, oh, yeah, I mean, everybody's nervous at first, but down the road, you'll get over that. You'll get used to it. I've never gotten used to it. I'm as nervous to, I don't want to overstate it. I am still nervous today. How nervous are you talking to me? Do what? How nervous are you talking to me right now? At this moment, I'm not really all that nervous. We're friends um, and I've done this enough now that, that it's it's better, but there's still a level of nervousness. Um, and, and it's as much because technology could go wrong during a live stream. We didn't do yeah. a live stream for years because I thought, I see these guys trying to, um, do, you know, do tech support for themselves during a live stream like you. And, um, I, I just thought I, th yep. there's no way that would drive me crazy. But then I realized that everybody screws up. So you just jump in there and when you screw up, don't worry about it so much. But anyway, um, so I, but that's a good question. So, um, so I, so I still get nervous, maybe not quite to the same extent, but like if I went to preach at a church, this isn't a debate. There's not even a question and answer time but I'm going to go preach at a church of a hundred people. Um, where even though I'm on, the, you know, weekly, I'm speaking to 2000 people on YouTube, a church building filled with a hundred people. I could get a little nervous about that. And I've been doing this for two decades, you know? Um, so it's still there, but when I got, but that was a whole different thing than the type of anxiety that came on when I started having panic attacks. And I'll never forget about three blocks from here. I was sitting from where I am now. I was sitting in a coffee shop and I was reading a book and I was drinking coffee and I drank a lot of coffee. And so my, I started to experience heart palpitations because of all the caffeine. Well, I began to think, wait a minute, am I having a heart attack? What is going on? And what was weird? And here's the psychological side of it that you were referencing. When yeah. I would start reading the book and try to ignore it, it would kind of go away. But then whenever it would cross my mind at all, it would start happening again. And I, I walked back to my house and I laid down and I told my wife, I said, I think you may have to call an ambulance. I, I don't know. This is weird. Something's not right. I got on the phone with a doctor friend of mine, a medical doctor who's a friend. And he said, uh, look, everything you're telling me is textbook panic attack. And, um, and I did, I had, there was like 20 something, um, symptoms of a panic attack. And I had like 19 of them. And, uh, you know, what he, what he told me, and so this is maybe some, some bro science for you, but I got it from a real medical doctor that if you'll kind of rub your carotid artery a little bit, massage that, or intentionally hyperventilate, you know, like, like that. Um, because what's happening is your body is kind of in this fight or flight type of mode. 
And so if you, if you hyperventilate, your body feels like, okay, there was a predator or something. We ran away from it. We're fine now. Um, but you need to do something to, to, to kind of give the, give your body the impression or psychologically trick yourself into thinking we did something about that. There was a problem, but we did something about it. And in fact, mm. um, this, so this, so this happened occasionally when I was about to preach or when I was about to speak somewhere in a conference. And I usually, once I'd get up there and start talking, I would be able to get over it. There are a couple of specific in instances where that didn't happen, but you talk about a debater, somebody who's in debates when I've, de I, cause the debates started the live on stage debates I was having started about the same time I started having these panic attacks. I think they're unrelated because the debates happened just after the panic attacks. But whenever I would, uh, whenever, whenever I would have a live public debate, which I've had five or six of them, this would always be a big fear. In fact, I even got to the point where I was afraid. What if I've never passed out before, but this is the kind of irrational thinking. What if I get up there uh, to give my opening statements and I completely black out and fall out on the stage? I mean, that would be like, I mean, can you imagine like for people like you and me, that would be like the most horrifying thing. Uh, it'd be funny. There's no question about that. But um, so, I, so I dealt with all this stuff and ultimately this year, and I, I dealt with it. Um, it's one of those deals where you're talking about the cognitive behavioral therapy. It can, if it can cross your mind, not like right in the forefront of your mind, it can cross your mind and be a football field away in your thinking and still have whatever impact and set you mm -hmm. off if you have it in a certain way. And this can affect people in all kinds of ways. It can affect people with sexual stuff with their spouse. It can affect people with um, their, uh, I've got a friend who works here at Trinity who can't put, he can't point to what the trigger was, Cameron. So the, the first time he had a panic attack, he doesn't know what the trigger was. And that had the detrimental effect of now he can have that panic attack f without a tr an obvious trigger because he doesn't know what the initial trigger was. And so ultimately, yeah. um, I did get on some medication for this. And um, honestly, I had done that before without success, but I think I found the right medication. I do think there was something going on here um, that was not just, um, I, I don't even, I, I want to be cautious even what terminology to use. I do think there was a psychological component. I think there was a spiritual component in my case, but um, for the for the physical side of that, the medication really has worked for me to the point that I, I feel like a new a new person. So obviously, there's a lot more to say, but that's kind of been my my story with it. Yeah, I think it's important to to let people know that this is like everybody's case is different. I've had people reach out to me and they've they've like asked me what to do, and I'm like, well, first of all probably what you need to do is go talk to an expert, like go talk to a psychiatrist for real and just like get the options, talk to him. Cause there's, there's so many different types of medications out there. That was one of the things that really impressed me when I talked to my psychiatrist for the first time, I was like, I, I was blown away at all the different options there are. And if like, if this type of medication gives you these symptoms, then you can try a different one. There's right. a, a whole lot of different medications, prescriptions that are, uh, that are like in trial. And so you can like pay, they actually pay you to take them. And some of them have like no side effects at all. So there's, there's all sorts of different things that you can do. The, the last thing that you want to do, if you're going through anxiety, if you're dealing with anxiety right now, the last thing that you want to do is, is ignore it. Yeah. It's just going to, it, it's not going to get better. And so I, I like, I just did not accept the anxiety when, when it was happening. I was like, I, I'm not going to just like, 
you know, sit around and just be this anxious. It was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. It was so, so awful. But I'm, I'm, I mean, you and I talk all the time. I'm, I'm so happy that the, uh, the medication is working well for you. That's so good. Yeah. I, 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 go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, and, and I, I didn't have I'll anything tell you, another else to say. Another thing is Jonathan Pritchett actually is on here, makes a really good point. He says, I used to take anxiety meds for a few years. Then I got healthy and exercised and I've not been on meds for over a year now. Proper diet and regular exercise does wonders. That's absolutely the truth. And, you know, and, and I, it, it's true for men and women with men, as you exercise and lose weight, certain hormones that are important to your, to your, uh, to the chemistry of your body are released. And I'm sure there's, and I know a little bit about the, the male side of that. I don't know how it works with women exactly, but I can say this one, one down note to the type of medication that I'm on for this is it does cause, or it makes it, and they're not sure why is my understanding, but it, it can cause weight gain. And my, my theory is that when you finally get on the medication and the anxiety is gone, you, 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 you care less about trivial things that once bothered you. And so you think, ah, I'll have another donut, big deal. You know, so anyone getting on it uh, should be cautious of that. And I'll tell you something else that I've noticed, Cameron, and I'm glad I thought to mention this is I told you this when you were um, trying out some medications from a spiritual perspective for a Christian. One thing we need to be really aware of is these medications, they do help to lower your anxiety in some people. But one thing that had an effect in me is, and, and I'm not going to get into specifics because it's none of your business internet, but it lowered my, um, it lowered my guard a little bit when it comes to sinful issues that might be there in my life. I, the, the temptations that might be there, there was less of a concern um, it, because the, because the anxiety was lower. My anxieties about the sin were lower. And of course the conviction of the Holy spirit was there. And in fact, it's interesting because I, I got kind of more of an obvious bead on on what that was and that it was the conviction of the Holy Spirit because that was still loud and clear. But I just want to warn people that, that do this. It can lower your inhibitions about sin. And um, at least it did with me. And so I think that's an important thing to mention. Yeah, I, I didn't experience that. And and I don't know of anyone that, that has, but I, I think that it can. Yeah, the, I mean, anxiety can be can manifest itself in so many different ways. And then the medications uh, everybody's anatomy is different. And so, you know, some medication might give you symptoms that it doesn't give anyone else, uh, or, or you may just like not have any symptoms at all. So it, it's, that's why it's such a case by case basis. And also you got to work with the the doctor and find a good solution. That's going to like work in the long run is, I mean, if you heard it uh, about Jordan Peterson, he was on benzodiazepine. Di is that what it's called? Yeah. Benzos? Yeah. B Benzo is like the short, the, the, uh, the short way to say it, but he was on benzos and he got like, he got dependent on them. And then when he tried to break off of them, he couldn't. And he wound up in the hospital, almost died like several times. And thought that like and the he, Florida like, gang was after him. After, I, I don't remember exactly when, when that was, but the, the point is that there yeah. are some medications that can be addictive like the benzos. Benzos can, can make you, uh, can, can, have that addictive component, but there are other medications like SSRIs, which is what you have, mm -hmm. which, uh, what you take. And, uh, it, that was a, a brand that I was trying out as well, but those apparently are not addictive. They have different side effects, but they're not addictive and they don't have those types of like long-term possible, you know, maybe you're going to die if you, it, it, anyway, so it's, it's, a. Uh, it's a thing that you definitely, definitely need to talk. Well, obviously, like if you're talking to a psychiatrist, 
a bona fide psychiatrist who has a degree in everything in brain science, then they're going to know what they're talking about. They'll be able to tell you what the side effects are, what the possible risks are. So definitely talk to a, a professional about it. Yeah. Yeah. So Cameron, here's a thing that I kind of wanted to explore with you is to what extent it affected our lives. Um, you know, I'll, for me, I kind of hinted at it already. I didn't, I didn't, um, I still did everything that I had scheduled to do, but it was a train wreck mm -hmm. going through it. I mean, it was extremely difficult. I, I think that my natural, um, reservation about things kind of being a, a bit of an introvert, uh, my, my, I don't, I don't want to say worry, but there is a, there is a good sense in which certain people are more cautious about things. And I think that that part of who I am and how God made me um, has made me someone who over prepares for things. If I'm going to do something, I want to be as prepared as I can possibly be. And so I think that's a place where either God, God uh, put that in my DNA, so to speak, or he redeemed something that was a problem in my life and, and brought out something beautiful from it, something good from it. Um, but there have been times uh, where it has really made it difficult to do um, what what I needed to do. And I wonder about you. Did it affect your life in and your ministry on YouTube? Um, uh, maybe live streams that, that you had uh, difficulty doing uh, anything like that for you? Uh, there was only a couple that I, I remember one distinctly. I was invited to come on Mike Winger's channel for, for something or like, I think it was actually to do a test maybe, or some, something along those lines. But I was dealing with so much anxiety at the time. I was just like, I can't do this because anytime I would like get on the program or, or do something, then it would, it would trigger all of the anxiety. So I, I was fortunate back then to, I, I wasn't doing a whole lot of live streaming. I mean, now if you look at my channel, I'm doing live streams twice a week, at least twice a week. And like this week, I think we'll, we'll be at three live streams. And I think, mo it, but, but that was only recently. So, so like with the coronavirus and the pandemic and everything, I'm starting to do a whole lot more live streaming, but I wasn't doing that when I was going through all of this anxiety. So what I was able to do, and I was very fortunate to be able to do this was I was able to release backlogged content that I had prepared basically. So all of these interviews, one of the interviews that, that I released during this time was my interview with uh, Dr. Gary Habermas and the evidence for the resurrection. I, I released that in November and that one did super, super well, that was great. but I was fortunate. Yeah, I was, I was fortunate while I was going through all this anxiety. I wasn't doing a, a, any live streaming. I don't think, or I may have. And if I was, then it was just super easy stuff. And so while I was like in the thick of it, I, I didn't try to do much of, of anything. I was trying to just super, you know, take it, take it real easy. Well, so and, and honestly, it hasn't really uh, your interview with Gary Habermas is the best interview I've ever seen with Gary Habermas and your interview with Craig. I thought William Lane Craig was the best interview I've seen with William Lane Craig. And I told Mike Lycona that I, I think that's, I, those were just great. And, um, I think, am I, am I right that, that that Gary Habermas interview really kind of pushed you forward in, in a lot of ways. Didn't it get a lot of attention? Yeah. I think it's at about 300,000 views at this point. Wow. And it, 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 it was not, I was not expecting that one to take off. That's the thing about YouTube is like when you're trying to put a video together or like a live stream and you're like, yeah, this one, this one will do. Okay. This one's going to do really good. Those are the ones that do average. And then the ones where you're like, is this, I don't even know if this is going to get, you know, how, however many views that you normally get. 
those are the videos that do the best. It's so weird how YouTube works. And that one with Gary Habermas, I was like, yeah, I mean, it's it's an interview with Gary Habermas on the evidence of the resurrection, but those exist on YouTube already. Like he's done lectures, he's done videos like that. I was not expecting it to do so well, and it it did really well. I was just, it was really really cool. Yeah, it's yeah, I was, I was for, really for fortunate. Any pastors that are in the audience, they know that that's the way it is with your sermons too. The ones you think are going to be <laughs> smashing, uh, nobody cares, and the ones that you think are going to fall flat on their face are the ones everybody remembers. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I, with anxiety, yeah, I, I started to make a connection between anxiety and doubt fairly early on because I was able to recognize that catastrophizing when I was reading that book on J from JP Moreland. And I was, I was just thinking conceptually about what is, what is catastrophizing look like? And I think that that is actually a form like that can cause doubt hmm. catastrophizing. So your anxiety, and I, I made this connection a little bit later on your anxiety Whatever's causing your anxiety could be causing you to doubt. And so when people are asking, like some, sometimes people reach out to me, they're like, hey, I have all of these uh, these doubts about Christianity or whatever. And I like to ask them, are, are you experiencing any anxiety about this? And normally what I, if, if they are, I say, okay, you need to pause from all of this, like pause apologetics for a second and take care of your anxiety first. Get that under control, talk to a psychiatrist, do some therapy, get your anxiety under control and then go back and do apologetics or then start to look at these questions until you can get your anxiety under control. You could be, be driven by all of your doubts and those doubts could be driven by anxiety and your anxiety could be driven by like brain chemistry junk that's happening or just, or, you know, bad behaviors that you have that you need to change. And if you change those, you might not be doubting anymore. It's crazy. You it's bring it's up a crazy. Really, that, yeah. You bring up a really good point because this kind of does connect. So this will look like I'm doing a commercial, but I'm not. Um, but uh, this is a book that I wrote on the screen here, Death is a Doorway. And I wrote that in my late 20s. And it's not a real long book. Um, but Pritchett says it's my, well, I think he says it's my second best book. <laughs> but uh, But that book was written because my father has a rare genetic blood disease that fortunately I don't have and my daughters don't have, but um, it's called Von Willebrand's disease. And he's got stage three only because they don't have any further stages to categorize where he's at. And so um, he was told when he was young, he had to take 120 pints of blood in a week one time. And uh, he was told he wouldn't live to be, you know, past 20 years old. And uh, that's how he got my mother to marry him. And he, she was 17 years old. And he said, if you want to marry me, you better marry me now because I'm not going to live very long but he's 75 today and he's still uh, alive and kicking. But um, he, so, so all my life I've been told your dad probably won't be alive next year this time. He's probably going to die. And so that, so as a young person that, that actually did make me appreciate my parents. I think more than a lot of people do. I never went through that uh, period where I couldn't stand my parents or thought I was smarter than my parents or anything like that. I always really appreciated my parents. And I kind of won the lottery with my parents. I have great parents. But, um, but, uh, when, when I got into my late twenties, which is, you know, I'm in my late thirties now I'm 39, but when I was in my late twenties, I thought, you know, I'm going to die one day. Like there's no, there's no, you know, the cliche, there's no one getting out of this alive, right? We're going to die. If the Lord does not return in our lifetime, we're going to die. And so I, Craig, William Lane Craig has talked about this, how when he was looking at his father on his deathbed, it was as like the cold hand of death on his shoulder saying, this will be you one day. 
And I had an experience like that looking at a dead bird in our driveway one day here in Evansville. I looked at that dead bird and I thought, you know, neurons stopped firing, blood stopped pumping, and that bird is just dead. It doesn't exist somewhere now. It's just dead. And I had this, I had all the apologetics. By this point, I knew all the stuff. I, I'm very confident on the basis of the evidence, and I'm very confident on the basis of my own experience of God. Nevertheless, there was, because I couldn't have the Cartesian certainty that I wanted, that I think so many um, of our atheists, though not all, so many of our atheist friends, whether I whether they articulate it this way or not, I think are asking for and want. And maybe this is why the person said a while ago they had like a Cartesian anxiety. Maybe that's what I had. I didn't have certainty, and that that doubt there caused me extreme anxiety about death. So I thought, I'm going to put everything that I can learn from the Bible about this and everything I can learn from apologetics about death and the near-death experiences and all that stuff into a book, and then I can hold it in my hand and feel like, okay, I've settled this issue. And you know what blows my mind? It didn't happen immediately, but I think about a year after I released that book, I didn't write that book for anybody else. I wrote it for me. And guess what? It did It did go away, that type of anxiety, the anxiety because of that particular trigger. And at this moment, the death issue doesn't really bother me. I think, you know, everyone is human, has some kind of a reservation about death, right? We're built for survival. But at the same time, I don't have an unreasonable concern about death anymore. And I think it's because I could say I kind of did something about that. So that's kind of some cognitive behavioral therapy maybe that I did for myself. But I think connecting that anxiety mm -hmm. to the issue of doubt as apologists, you brought up a really good point. Yeah, there was a comment by somebody a little bit earlier in the live chat, uh, genuinely curious, I think. She's been she's been commenting, he or she, I don't know why I'm calling her, he or her or she. Uh, go ahead and pull it up. Yeah, she says, what if leaving the faith or church is what most relieves the anxiety? So uh, she, she said earlier that that doing cognitive behavioral therapy, why am I calling her a she? Anyway, I'll, I'll, just, I'll keep doing it. So she said earlier that uh, leaving the church or doing cognitive behavioral therapy is what left is what led her to to leave the church. And that, that was interesting to me. And now she says, what if leaving the faith or church is what most relieves the anxiety? So my, my thoughts on that are, are this, and I'm still, I'm still thinking about this, but suppose that you got a lot of anxiety every time you thought about eating food. Like, would you just stop doing that behavior because it gave you anxiety? No. It, some behaviors are good and you need to do them. So when it comes to having faith or going to church, as Christians, those are things that you need to do. Those are those are good behaviors. So if, if that behavior is giving you anxiety, then you've got to figure out some other way of overcoming that. And so what I would su suggest for you, if cognitive behavioral therapy wouldn't work, and that circumstance, like it, it just in the case of like if you got anxiety when you were thinking about eating food and CBT didn't work for you to, to overcome that, then talk to a psychiatrist and and look at medication options or look at some other option in order to to overcome your anxiety in that way. So that that's what, what I would I say. What I hear you saying there, Cameron, too, I think is and correct me if I'm wrong, but there there is sometimes more than one way to resolve an anxiety issue. And it may be yeah. that you choose the wrong way. Um, mm -hmm. You know, some people become alcoholics because at least in the throes of intoxication, yeah. uh, the anxiety isn't there. But that doesn't mean that alcoholism is the solution to that problem. Um, I get anxiety when I go to church uh, sometimes, but I know it's not because I know that 
that the solution is not not to go to church. There are other things there that are causing me anxiety, like maybe I'm the speaker or maybe I'm at a church. Mm -hmm. I'm about to do a Q&A or have a live discussion. Uh, yeah, I would be a little I would have anxiety for some people. They have that same experience I have, not because they're going to be the speaker, but because they're going to be in a crowd of people because they're going to interact with other people. Uh, perhaps the questioner also has in mind that there are doctrinal perspectives um, like hell, like the nature of hell or something like that, that causes or confrontation about sin in your life that can cause anxiety. And I was interacting with someone on Twitter just today who was saying that that uh, the church's teaching on these issues was causing anxiety was until they left the church. But think think about this, and I hope this doesn't sound too straightforward because, and I'm not really saying this to genuinely curious. I don't know who he or she is or what their story is, but perhaps we could think about this. I think this is an important thing. Um, people that need to stop smoking, for instance, those people experience a great amount of anxiety sometimes. Sometimes that can be a huge problem for them that when they stop smoking, this anxiety rushes in, especially since there's a very obvious reason why um, that would happen, which is that those nicotine receptors are not receiving nicotine, which causes and can cause for some people anxiety. But we wouldn't say to them, because smoking cigarettes regularly relieves that anxiety about stopping smoking, it doesn't mean that that the solution is to continue smoking. And so I think all those kind of things are, are good ways to use thought experiments to think about it. And flatly put, I yeah. think Cameron's right. There's more than one way to alleviate anxiety and, and leaving church or the faith might not be the right. It isn't the right way. Yeah. And some some behaviors are good, like you need to do them. And so you've got to find some some other way of, of overcoming that. Yeah. Yeah. So so it has affected you. Um, now, we've talked mm -hmm. a little bit really about the medical versus spiritual side of this. Um, but explicitly, I want to say, as I've already said, that I think um, it, that it can be one or the other or both. And in fact, I think I would go further and say where there is what we might think on paper looks like merely a medical issue here that's causing the, um, the situation, the condition, it likely will have, because this is so psychologically informed, the theater is psychological. Um, it, it's, uh, it, it can, it can have an impact on spiritual things. It can have an impact on how you view God. It can have an impact on how you relate to others. So I think the spiritual side of it, for those of us who are professing believers, is always going to be there. And I think we need to make sure that as we are treating this issue, even if, like me, you think that medication is the right thing, you definitely need to make sure that you're relying on God and doing things that the faith actually gives you that good secular science even agrees is helpful, like prayer. Prayer is a form of meditation, perhaps. And that everyone agrees that that can be helpful. We as Christians obviously confirm that in a much more robust way. And so you definitely want to take advantage of those things. But don't forget the spiritual side of it and building up those um, foundations, even if it looks like there is an obvious medical problem. Yeah, I was going to mention that there's a version of Christian therapy or uh, not therapy, Christian meditation. And I never got into it, so I, I can't really speak to it. But I, I did try meditation a few times, and it helped a little bit, but it I, it wasn't, I guess, for me, it wasn't the thing that, like, helped me get over it. But uh, I, yeah, if, you, if you're into that, if you're into, like, trying a, a Christian meditation, so what, I, as I was looking into it, I think what it kind of looks like practically is, like, you, you might read a passage 
Or you might just pray something like monotonously, which is okay, but you just pray something over and over and over and you kind of meditate on a passage or a verse or, or just God. And when you meditate like that and what you're it, basically whatever you're, whatever you're thinking about is kind of what's important here. So when it comes to a Christian, if you have concerns about meditation, if you're thinking about God or like the Holy Spirit or a, a passage in the Bible, what would be wrong with that? It's, it's difficult to see what would, you know, kind of objections that you would have to that Christian type of meditation. But yeah, med- meditation, there's plenty of studies in, in literature on that, that, that meditation just calming your brain down and just like breathing right and focusing on on certain things can really help your brain sort of rewire itself. That's another thing is that the neuroplasticity is is a real thing. So you can change the way that your brain functions by thinking differently and doing things differently and, and changing your behaviors. That's why cognitive behavioral therapy works is because you're changing like the actual shape, the physical shape of your brain through your thinking. Through your thoughts. Yeah, that's an interesting one for apologists to discuss, right? Because it informs our thoughts about the philosophy of mind and mm -hmm. dualism versus physicalism and all those sorts of things. You can actually affect the physical structure of your brain. Uh, You know, you said something there about introspection. Just by thinking about it. uh, As you're praying and meditating. One thing that I think is very obvious that we could easily miss that we should point out if if maybe we've already said it, but I don't think we have. Which is that when you're when you're experiencing anxiety, uh, so we've made a we've been very cautious, obviously, to mention that we're not medical doctors and that you need to take their advice so far as it's relevant to what's going on. But yeah. on the other hand, um, it could be as you're examining your life, it could be that there is something there that's causing anxiety, and I, I and and don't think this is necessarily the case, but it could be the case that there is something that you're not dealing with that is something that's uh, in, in your relationship with God or with another believer. Is there some particular habit, issue, sinful thing that you're involved in that you really need to deal with and go, and, and the anxiety, is the anxiety springing from um, a contradiction in your practice of your faith? Um, that That is certainly something that needs to uh, be dealt with. For instance, um, if a Christian is... Um, viewing pornography regularly and they take their faith very, very seriously. But at the same time, they are somewhat regularly viewing pornography. Um, There is going to be a tension in their practice there that is going to cause a level of anxiety if they're serious about their faith. And so um, don't think that if you're just like with the problem of evil, if you're experiencing pain, it doesn't necessarily mean that you did something that's causing this pain. Likewise, if you're experiencing anxiety, don't think it's necessarily because of sin, but it is a good place for you to stop and examine your life in that time of prayer and say, is there something here that I need to deal with? Right, Cam? What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, I don't have anything else to add. Yeah, so... There was there was a question from... Uh, I was looking at the live chat. There was a question from Brando. Yeah, right there. Should someone go to medication or faith first? And, uh, my, my thoughts are, I don't, I don't know what the, I don't actually know what the dichotomy here is because I think you can do both. I think you can actually do medication and like get a, you know, a a healthier spiritual life or, uh, or, or think about the Bible, pray about the Bible, meditate, uh, do that Christian form of meditation if you, if you're averse to meditation more generally. So I I don't see a dichotomy there. I, I think you can do both. But what I would definitely suggest is like, just 
find a, a psychiatrist in your area, which more than likely, if you live in the United States or if you live in a developed country, there's going to be someone relatively close to you that you can go and do and just spend the money on it. If you, if you even if you don't have insurance, put like your health is that important. Just go do it. Go talk to a professional and talk to uh, talk to them about the options for your particular case. They'll ask you certain questions about like, you know, have you uh, they'll try to give you a, build a profile and try to figure out like what is the be, you know what's the best solution for this person they'll walk you through it the psychiatrist that I used it was very much like a collaborative discussion with him trying to figure out what is the best solution for me in particular is it this medication is it this medication uh, should I just do you know therapy should I should I go that route and so it was very much like a, a collaboration I, and I highly recommend that you do that too. Go talk to a professional and figure out what the different options are. And I don't think that when you do that, you're necessarily, you know, contradicting faith or going against the Bible no. or, or anything and, like that. And, I think that you can do both. And and certainly, um, just simply because, uh, even if someone uses the app that you're referencing to, to talk to a medical doctor, setting up appointments and things like that takes time. And a practicing Christian who's taking their faith seriously is much sooner going to have going to be praying and reflecting on these things from within their worldview. So I think it's mm -hmm. just going to shake out that if your faith is a vibrant one, you're going to go to to the faith side of things first. But I agree, there's there's nothing, uh, there's no problem with uh, doing both. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. Um, uh, struggling with depression. Let me so say this real quick too. Yeah. Go ahead and pull up another one if you want. But but J.P. Moreland in his book, as I was reading through it, which I highly recommend, by the way, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. It's I have it in Kindle form, so I don't remember the title of it. I, is it uh, In Search of I a Confident Faith? No, it's something about peace. Hmm. Um, I, I can pull it up and try to find it, but I'm sure if you just search J.P. Moreland anxiety book, it'll pop up immediately. But one of the things that he pointed out, which is so obvious if you're a Christian, was the passage that's like, Tomorrow has enough worries, like just worry about today. Mm -hmm. And that's what catastrophizing is. It's always, it's concerned with tomorrow. It's concerned with what's going to happen, you know, in six months or, or in a year. And you're like, you forget that today is happening. And it, it's just like, it was so obvious. And I've read that scripture, you know, a thousand times. But when he pointed it out, I was like, yeah, I should probably, yeah. Is it finding worry about quiet? today a little bit more than finding quiet? Yeah. Yeah. J.P. Moreland's awesome. I'll, I'll tell you what, there's a similar book for people so experiencing doubt, and that is In Search of a Confident Faith. And it's a book that I don't think was as well known, but it's it's an excellent one, too. Um, someone asked here about uh, depression, and sometimes those, those are mm -hmm. different, slightly different things, but sometimes they come together. And I would say a lot of what we're saying here is relevant. That would maybe uh, need its own stream, but I think a lot of what we're saying here is relevant there, too. The dichotomy between um, you know, focusing on God and taking your spiritual life seriously, but also recognizing that there can be medical issues at play here. A lot of the things that we're saying go in both directions and recognizing that really powerful Christians, people that are giants in the history of the Christian faith, have dealt with both of these issues, anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and so that's, you know, the last question that I kind of had here, Cameron, for us to kind of talk a little bit about is... Um, has God, is there a way, you know, I mentioned before, so I'm, and you may not share my theodicy, but, but on my view, I don't think God wants evil things to happen, things that are the result of sin um, and suffering. 
But but I'll tell you what, I think he can redeem it and use it for something beautiful. And the example that I've given many times is my brother is adopted. And um, I don't the, the thing that led to my brother's uh, conception, I don't think God wanted that evil to happen. But God has brought something beautiful out of it in his redemptive way. And that's my brother's life. And I think he can do that with our um, with our difficulties, too, and, and anxiety. And I know of examples. And so maybe I'll let you think for just a moment and I'll share one. Um, one thing is, uh, as I've said already, I'm, I, I over prepare for things and that has served me well. I, I don't think that I would have had to have had the anxiety stuff for that, but it certainly has caused that. But I'll tell you, it's given me an opportunity to rely on God in a way that I may not have either. People that public speak a lot, um, tend to, uh, we can become mechanical and we can, we can have a certain, um, sermon or lecture or whatever in our minds memorized and go through it mechanically on stage. And I was in South Carolina mm-hmm. a few years ago when I was speaking at a church there called Temple Baptist Church in uh, Simpsonville, South Carolina. And it was just a normal thing. I was going to speak on a Wednesday night. I had already speak to that church this week. It was not a huge crowd. It was not something that should have gotten me uh, where I should have experienced anxiety. But I began to have a serious panic attack, maybe worse than I've ever had before. And I even thought, I don't know if I can get up in the stage and, and speak tonight. Well, that night after the service, and even in the midst of the of, of, of speaking, I thought every few minutes, I thought, I'm going to have to tell the pastor I can't go on. And I was starting to hyperventilate a little bit. I was sweating. Really, really bad situation. But after the service was over that night, several people had placed their faith in Christ. And one was one of the deacons at the church um, who had come to Christ. And so I, th- I, I think in that situation, I was experiencing a real um, I, I'm not saying that there wasn't a physical issue of anxiety going on there, but a real spiritual warfare going on. And uh, I think the enemy was at work. And I'm not one of these people who is real mystical about these sorts of things. I would like to have more of a tangible, visible, audible experience of God than I have. But on that night, I wrote a blog article about it that people could still find. And I think what God taught me there was that even in the midst of when my body becomes an inconvenience to rely on him and he'll get me through it. So I think God has Mm. used my issue of anxiety in some ways for the benefit of the kingdom. Um, I wonder if, if you've learned things or, or if it's benefited you in any particular way. Yeah, well, it's, it's allowed me the opportunity to do shows like this and talk about anxiety. Like I never thought of myself as the anxiety guy or like someone who deals with anxiety and needs to talk about it. I never identified like that. And it wasn't until I went through my, my experience, which was awful that I really understood like what's happening and how serious it is. And then also recognize that I had all of the symptoms of it earlier on in my life. Like when I was a kid, when I would go like be sent to the the principal's office for some something stupid I did, those times like I remember thinking like how anxious I was in those situations. And like the other like if there was another kid that was sent with me, they like were not as you know worked up about it as I was. And so I I realized that my anxiety has sort of always been there. But it's allowed me the opportunity to identify with a whole new group of people that I didn't really identify with before and also to talk about it because I think that a lot of apologists and and just frankly thinkers, like people people who are mentally engaged, if you want to put it that way, I think people like that are more prone to having these these types of issues like anxiety and depression. And so I think it's so important to not neglect that side of things 
And so, I mean, it was a terrible experience, but I'm happy now that I can talk about this issue and possibly help people, you know, think through it and, and, and consider some different options. So that's, that's what I, that's my takeaway. And, and I think it's tough for me to be like, yeah, that's all worth it because of how terrible the anxiety was. And like, if I was still in that right now, I don't know if I would even assent to that, but I mean, I I think it's really good. I think it's a really good thing that we can be here and, and, you know, talk, talk about it openly and, and help people. So, and that, that could just be a failing on my part to, to fail to recognize how good it is to be able to do this. So that, that's what I would say on that. I I did want to say something about depression going back to that. And you, you said that depression, there's a lot of overlap with what we've already talked about. And I agree but I think that there's a big difference between anxiety and depression. Some some people experience both. You'll experience anxiety and depression. But the medicate, from what I understand, when I was talking to my psychiatrist, is that there's certain medications that you can take that are an, that are literally antidepressants, and other medications that are just anti-anxiety. So it's a very different type of process or something that's going on in your brain. Some people can have anxiety and not have any depression. And that's the case for me. I've never dealt with depression. Like never in my life have I dealt with depression, but anxiety, I've dealt with it a bunch apparently. And some people just deal with depression. They don't deal with anxiety. So some of the things that we're talking about will apply in both, but I don't think that they'll, they'll all apply. So what I would suggest still is go talk to a professional and talk about the different options. Like sometimes they, they might suggest a, a, a medication that, that treats both anxiety and depression, but sometimes you'll need something stronger that's going to help with the depression. And I, and I, I also want to overemphasize that uh, in a lot of cases, it can be that you have some kind of like chemical imbalance, just like, like if you take Aleve or Tylenol for a headache, why can't you take a medication for depression? Why not? I don't, I don't understand it. And the reason you're saying that is obviously because in some, with some Christian, from some Christian perspectives, uh, you're, you're doing something too fleshly or you, it's, it's always a spiritual thing or something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and that's, and that's just, fortunately, I think people are moving away from that largely because we recognize that the physical body is, is an important part of, um, of what we're doing here. Um, yeah, that's why I say that it would require its own show. And I think you made some really good points there. Hey, I wanted to say um, thank you to Cornell Tasmali. Tasmali, what advice would you, would do you have for someone who has a spouse or close friend suffering from anxiety? What can we do to help? Thanks for all you do, guys. Well, I'll get your take on that, Cameron. But first, I would say, believe it or not, I think it depends on what kind of anxiety it is, exactly how you respond. And so, for example... Um, one of the common things that can happen is when people deal with sexual um, uh, problems with this in their marriage, that, that there's an anxiety problem that's causing sexual dysfunction or something. Um, y- there's a tendency to get to get offended by the spouse that maybe I did something wrong or maybe it's that I'm not attractive enough or something like that. And what they say is you need to let that person with that anxiety issue talk about that as much as they want to and normalize it in the relationship and talk about it so much that it becomes comfortable to talk about it. And it's not a surprise um, with other people in other uh, situations. It might be that you don't talk about a particular thing too much. But again, I want to be cautious here because I ain't no medical doctor and I might be telling mm-hmm. you wrong things. I'm just telling you things that I've learned from reading material on this. 
but the, from the spiritual side of that, I think I am qualified to speak to that. And of course, you want to pray for them. And I don't mean that as begging off of saying something actually meaningful. If we're believers, the power of prayer, the importance of prayer is a system dependent belief. And so we want to make sure that we do pray and, and tell people that we love them. And don't say glib things like don't don't say passive things like, um, well, you know what, just uh, you need to just trust God more or, you know, hey, just get over it or um, or even or even God's got a plan through all of this. All of these things can sound flippant to someone. So sometimes the best thing is just to give them a hug, you know, but I think it's going to depend on what the issue specifically is. Cameron, what do you think? Yeah. And sometimes like if you even ask the person, Hey, how are you doing today? That can trigger their anxiety. That, that, that was actually something that triggered my anxiety. It was either you or someone else that texted me and it was just like, you know, so innocent. It's just like, Hey, hey how's it going? And that triggered my anxiety. It's so, it's so weird how that works. But what I would say practically what you can do if you if you have a family member or someone close to you, I would say I would suggest that you tell them, hey, you don't have to just like live with this. It's not a condition that you just have to put up with for the rest of your life. There are documented scientific like, you know, it's it's been researched. The, the All the research has been done. There are things that you can do to make your anxiety better. So you can do medication. That's one of them. All of this stuff is like scientifically proven to help in some in in, uh, in a lot of cases but there's different things that you can do you can do CBT you can do medication you got to talk to a professional so what I would suggest is give them a little hope be like you don't have to put up with this for the rest of your life there are proven things at work for lots of people and go talk to a professional like don't just sit on it go get it taken care of it's like if you had some other kind of condition like maybe you have back pain or some other kind of you know physical ailment you wouldn't just like not do anything about it if it was a serious thing. Like you would take medication, you would figure out how, like, do I need to get surgery for this thing? You would figure out what is happening so that you can like be without that that pain or that suffering anymore. And 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 some sometimes people just don't know that there are options out there that can help. And some of them, like CBT, you don't have to take any medication. And there are studies that show that it works. So I would just give them some hope and be like, look, you can, you can get over this and you need to, it's like, it's going to lead to a better life. You're going to be, yeah, you're going to be better off. Great advice, Cam. Listen, I'm going to take one more uh, here and then we'll, we'll try to sign off. I appreciate all the commenters and I'm, I've been impressed with the level of interest in this. Um, but the programmer who is a regular um, listener here says, what about anxiety about being wrong about my faith? Sometimes I'm afraid that I made the wrong decision five years ago. I am an ex-atheist myself. So we um, talked a little bit about something related to that earlier in the show. But let's, you know, first of all, um, you know, you remember we said that someone said I have Cartesian anxiety and I suffer from that, too, which is if I can't have Cartesian certainty, um, well, then there's there's room for doubt. There's room for anxiety. And of course, that's going to happen with worldview issues and religion issues because the stakes are about as high as they can be. At least that's how we view yeah. it or think about it. Um, I, you know, I, I some I was talking with someone on the phone uh, about six months ago who was a um, a listener to the show, and and um, I I don't know where this came from. I've never said this before, um, and this is not going to sound. I believe the Holy Spirit. I, I hope this comes from the Holy Spirit, uh, but I think that. Um, I felt compelled to say this and I, and she found it really helpful and I think it's true and it's extremely practical. Uh, you, if, if you had remained an atheist or if you had 
become a part of some other religion. We could talk about the evidential side of that, obviously. We, we think that Christianity has incredible evidence that makes it incredibly reasonable to believe, and we think that other world religions and other world views um, have major problems in them that make them less likely to be true. And so we think that's a very important side of it for sure. But you're never going to have Cartesian certainty about it, I don't think. Um, some people do think that. I don't think so. And if you had chosen one of those other ones instead, you would still have concerns like that. You would still have doubts. And let's say you had remained an atheist. You would still have concerns. What if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong and there is hell to pay whatever you understand the nature of hell to be? Those doubts and fears would still be there. And I think they would be exacerbated in that situation. At least here you can, you can have the assurance that, hey, this is a faith that is founded on fact. There is strong evidence for this. Um, and the, the worries and fears that I have here, at least I, I, I have examined this. I think that I've got, um, uh, I, I don't have the worry to the extent that I would have to have it if it was in some other religion or um, atheism. Obviously, um, other religions that have a concept of hell, for example, Islam. But you know, Islam is, is evidentially bankrupt, in my opinion. And so I think you can feel really confident about this. The main thing is to recognize that, yeah, you don't have Cartesian certainty, and you won't probably ever have that this side of heaven. That's just a part of the way we're made. And Cam, I know you like epistemology. I don't know if you have anything you want to add to that. Oh, yeah, I have a, I have a lot that I want to add to it. So <laughs> I, I want to bring it, I, I want to uh, to make a contrast or like a, a contrast it to what I was experiencing personally. So what it strikes me as, what about anxiety about being wrong about my faith? That to me is just textbook catastrophizing, like textbook. So what's wrong with being wrong about your faith? The the possible negative consequences. That's that, that's what it is. So catastrophizing, same with health anxiety. It's like, what are the possible negative consequences of this random pain in my chest? Oh my gosh, it's cancer. I'm about to die in five months or however, however long. It's just textbook ca catastrophizing. And the way to overcome that is it, what what worked for me in the case of like when I would Google my symptoms and that would that would trigger my anxiety was I went to a source that gave me a reasonable like <laughs> a reasonable conclusion about these symptoms that I was experiencing. So I, I got this app called K-Health, I already mentioned it earlier, K-Health, and it gave me like, okay, you, you probably have like a, a, you know, some viral infection is, is probably what you have. And that is a reasonable thing to conclude based on what I was experiencing. And cancer was unreasonable. And when I was able to finally rationally process that and stop catastrophizing and start to follow what was most reasonable is when my anxiety really started to get under control. And so in the in this case as well, I would say if you're having anxiety about being wrong about your faith, that's catastrophizing. Recognize it as such. That's actually one of the steps that J.P. Moreland uh, does in the book is like recognize, like categorize that, that thought. Okay, what I'm doing right now is I'm catastrophizing. What can I do to change this? Go back to, hey, look, I have all of this evidence for Christianity. And same with like a, you know, some kind of health concern. I have all of this evidence that I have a viral infection and that's what it is. I have all of this evidence that Christianity is true and that's what I'm going to go with. And that's reasonable. You don't have to worry about all these other things because all, if you recognize it at what is, is, if you recognize it as what it is, which is catastrophizing and you change it and go back to what is most reasonable, then I think you can finally get back on your way to, to defeating your anxiety.
And, and, and you know, Cam, that that doesn't apply to everybody, everything. For example, an atheist out here who says, well, I don't need to worry about Christianity or the consequences that might be there because, hey, I'm just catastrophizing. Well, some people do actually get cancer, right? And some people do have yeah, a higher yeah, right. likelihood of getting cancer. And so, um, but in a case like the programmer's case, you've done your due diligence. As Cam is saying, mm-hmm. you have looked into mm-hmm. these things and you've put yourself in a situation where now it isn't reasonable for you to continue in um, in, in fear and concern in a way that's affecting your peace about this because you've done what you should do. Just like um, if I go to the doctor and get screened for some kind of cancer or something and they tell me you don't have it, don't worry. It would yeah, be exactly. irrational for me to go on worrying about that. Yeah. When I was going through health anxiety, I went to the doctor and I had, you know, I had the EKG scans. I ruled out those things. So it's important to do that. Like, don't just, you know, imagine that you have all of these, uh, you know, you're able to rule out all of these, these possibilities. You've got to do the hard work of looking at, you know, the evidence that you don't have cancer or that, you know, the evidence that Christianity is true. But the point, the point is that once you can understand that what that thought process is, is it's like an, it's like a train you can't get off of, of anxiety and catastrophizing. And once you stop that and just stop it and just be like, okay, let me get back to what's most reasonable. Let me follow the evidence. And I think that's, that's ultimately what's, what's going to do it. I know I said that was going to be the last one, but real quick, Cosmic QQ, thank you for that super chat. That is so meaningful. I really, really appreciate that. Whatever you do, free will is the next thing that will fall. And then Christianity will be obvious. I'm not sure exactly what you're getting at there. Um, Cameron, do you have a guess at what's what we're saying here? Nope. <laughs> well, um, uh, I like I like the idea that Christianity will be obvious, so we'll leave it at that. Thank you so much for that uh, super chat. Uh, a couple of great things that I've taken away from this. One is that Cameron got sent to the principal's office a lot in school, and I'll remember that. Um, also- it was like once or twice. <laughs> Uh, but I remember thing that because I wanted... they caused me so much anxiety. Yeah, you didn't want to do it, <laughs> so you stayed away from it. Um, another thing that I want to say is we haven't given you any place to go with this. I, perhaps some prep for this show would have provided something like that, a link or something. But Cam has given you a good app that you can consider. What's the name of that app again, Cameron? K-Health. And that's for medical stuff, right? That's for just general... You can't do that app for anxiety or anything like that. There may be an app for anxiety, but also another resource is the anxiety guy on YouTube. So you're already on YouTube watching this. There's a really good channel. The anxiety guy is is what it's called. And he actually, I watched some of his videos and he helped me out too. So, but the other book that I mentioned was uh, the one by JP Moreland. If you have that one and then you go talk to a professional, I think that you're going to be well on your way of addressing this in your own personal life. Yeah. And, you know, uh, you can find those kind of resources in your own area where you're at. Um, You know, fortunately, we live in a day and age where we can read reviews about individual businesses and psychologists and things. And a good church um, could recommend you to uh, someone who's who's known for doing this, who is certified in all the right ways, um, but is also a Christian. If you're looking for someone who can talk this through with you from a Christian worldview. So all that's really helpful. And uh, hey, I doubt there are too many people who are on this channel who don't know about capturing Christianity. But if you don't know about capturing Christianity, that's Cameron's channel. And I've put a link in the description. You should go there and you should uh, you should subscribe if it's the sort of thing that you're interested in. And it should be the kind of thing you're interested in. One of the concerns I've had 
is, and, and I know we're going long camera. I'm sorry about that. One of the, one of the concerns that I've had is that um, back when I was first getting into apologetics, if you, if you saw a debate or a discussion between a Christian and um, someone of another worldview, it was done on a debate stage, usually at a prestigious university somewhere. And you had the best um, on that issue from both sides. And our guys, they usually did really well in those debates and won on the internet where anybody, any two people can just turn on a webcam and start debating worldview issues and everyone can see it. Our guys don't always do as well. I'm glad that they're learning. I'm glad they're getting their feet wet. What Cameron's channel has done is to bring it back to the, the, the level of sophistication that these onstage debates had that I enjoyed when I was first getting into apologetics and has some of those same people there that I used to watch. People like William Lane Craig and Mike Lycona and others. Um, Josh Rasmussen, I know, is a regular on there uh, with the contingency argument. So if you want um, probably some of the highest level discussions between um, people who are experts in the field, Cameron's great for that. And, and there's a lot of other good stuff there that I don't have time to talk about. So check that out. Is there anything you want to pump or push, Cameron? Uh, I mean, I, I could briefly talk about the uh, the 12 courses that I'm doing. So if yeah. you're if you're interested in getting like a good starter course in apologetics, like if you just discovered apologetics and you want to start learning some of these arguments, we're in the process right now of building a 12 course like a beginner course for apologetics. And I have like 11 or 12 of the top Christian philosophers alive today doing these courses. And we're starting to record the first one on Wednesday. And these will be available to our patrons, people that support our ministry. So you can do, uh, you can go there and, and uh, engage with these 12 courses, patreon.com slash capturing Christianity. And then the YouTube channel is just capturing Christianity. You can find it. He's, he's also got it linked in the description of this. So yeah, that's pretty much it. And hey, I, I appreciate you uh, you inviting me on. Oh come on, man! I, I love you to death. I'm so glad that you're here. And hey, everyone, um, I haven't even gotten Cameron's take on this. I'm sure he thinks it's a terrible idea, as most of the things that I do. He, at first, he thinks that, and then he tells me how to make it the right way. Um, but we <laughs> have a second channel now called Trinity Radio Extra that is more. It's some apologetics, but mostly theology. Whereas this channel is some theology, but mostly apologetics. And um, you can you can find that by just uh, just searching Trinity X Trinity Radio Extra, and I'd really appreciate it. We've got over 500 subscribers. We're trying to grow that channel, and um, and Jonathan Pritchett is going to be most of what you'll find there. But I just uploaded a video today where I'm talking with Will Her uh, Will Will S from the Church Split. I saw him in the chat. Um, and we're talking about Molinism and apologetic methodology. So go check that out and see what you like. I really would appreciate it. And also you can find us. You know what? I'm not going to talk about our Patreon. I'm going to leave it with Cameron's Patreon today. But listen, this has been a blast. Cameron, what's your next video? Uh, next video tomorrow is a devil's advocate debate between Randall Rouser and Joe Schmid. Awesome. So, so Randall's, yeah, he's going to be... Uh, pretending to be an atheist and Joe's going to pretend to be a theist. He's just, he's agnostic. Joe is, but so he's going to, he's going to pretend to be a theist. And we're going to talk about why these types of devil advocate debates are, are important, but that's happening tomorrow at noon. All right. Thanks, Matt Jackson Central. for that super chat. You and Bobby Conway have great hair. Thank you. I really appreciate <laughs> that. I don't have hair, but I did have great hair. Uh, I used to have hair, golden locks that went down to my shoulders. Hey, listen, it's been a blast. We'll see you next time on Trinity Radio.